Hey guys, it's your host Julian. We're continuing the King of the Hill deep dive with storyboard artist Bill Ryling. We chat about how Bill got onto King of the Hill, some of his favorite episodes, and what it was like working with some of the greatest writers and artists of all time. Before we roll into this week's episode, we got a little housekeeping to take care of. If you guys want to help support this show, follow the link below to our Patreon channel. We're offering early and ad-free access to all of our shows, as well as some other really cool things that are coming now and coming down the road as we grow into the Patreon space. As always, thank you guys so much for listening, watching, and supporting us. Now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Voice My Head Podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by Bill. Bill, how are you, sir? Fine, thank you. Thanks for uh, having me. Absolutely, man. Big shout out to uh, old Sean Cashman for setting this one up. I really appreciate it, Sean. I've had a lot of fun talking to uh, the folks that Sean, uh, you know, he put a stamp out there, said, if you're going to talk King of the Hill, you got to talk to these guys. Uh, So what better way to talk King of the Hill with Bill here other than, man, what was that first day at Film Roman like, man? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, well, I kind of got into animation through a side door. Uh, I was... uh, working on doing a comic strip for national syndication. And through that, I ended up uh, doing some gags for the uh, Garfield comic strip. And then Garfield, Film Roman animated Garfield and Friends. And I got a, a job cleaning up a board uh, from Scott Shaw, uh, comic book guy. And then after my first board, they hired me as a board artist. So. That was my introduction into storyboarding, and it was a learn for me. It was a learn as you go mm-hmm. uh, experience. And then um, Phil Roman, he uh, he he ran a studio, and he had a kind of like a uh, policy where he tried to, as best as he could, roll you on to other projects. So I would do props for Bobby's World. I was an assistant on The Simpsons, and eventually. Um, uh, you know, meeting other people. Um, I I met Clay Hall, um, um, and he was supervising director on The Simpsons. I uh, got a test for, I mean, a supervising director on King of the Hill, and I got a test to, you know, board for the show, and that was my first uh, go at it. In fact, I, I found my layout test in the garage after you yeah. called. Yeah, and it was kind of uh it's only a couple pages but it, it was interesting and it was just uh peggy uh preparing her feet for um i i think it was when they somebody had a foot fetish about peggy's yeah. feet <laughs> you want to you want to show it oh i can uh i can not well this was you know i don't know if you can see that oh yeah yeah and then um let's see yeah, like this was the probably the first shot I I did for. Uh, let me see if I can get that. Can you see that? Oh yeah, there you go. Right yeah, there, Peggy, it's perfect. Yeah, Peggy just setting up, uh, setting up. The, she had boiled some rose petals, and she's going to sit down and, um, I guess uh, humidify her feet, <laughs> and uh, and then like here she is just laying back, and then. Uh, Hank Hank comes in and says, "What are you doing, Peggy?" You know, and it goes from there. So, oh, that's great, man. What we'll, what we'll do, uh, what we'll do if you can, uh, if you can snap some pictures of it. What we'll do is we'll put it up on the uh, through yeah, the, throughout the video so people can see it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this one, make sure you come out and check out the uh, video portion of this so you can see these uh, beautiful layouts that uh, Bill here worked on. Um, 
what was your when when you're working or when you get that initial test man what was your initial thought of king of the hill because this is uh was this before the pilot had dropped uh when you started doing your test no this was after and uh i yeah i thought it was a well written show you know mm -hmm. um the i told you i had worked on the simpsons as a just doing uh assistant uh, cleanup on the simpson boards and those were the first scripts where i literally laughed out loud i mean yeah and then king of the hill were the first scripts i read where not only were they did they have humor but they also had a really nice emotional aspect to mm -hmm. them so uh, you know i was i i was definitely drawn to that yeah they they straddled that line very well between humor and heart i mean this was the first show that i remember as a kid looking at it and going this is different like I told you before we hit record, I mean, King of the Hill and Hey Arnold, those two shows in particular, like Hey Arnold is a kid kid taught me how to be a really good person. And then King of the Hill, like that show developed my moral compass, like how I how I act as an adult. Now, not so much, you know, Bobby or 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 Hank, even though I felt like a Bobby when I was growing up, I was that chubby, awkward kid that tried to use humor as much as possible. Um, you know, I. I was I was definitely a weird kid like most of us are growing up, um, you know, just trying to navigate your way through it. And then getting to see like everyday, you know, everyday experiences or everyday problems. And these characters would work themselves through them in a very smart, articulate way. And they would do it with humor. And like I said, they always injected that heart throughout this entire episode of season series, whatever you want to call it. It was always there, man. Um, so. I, like I said, I, I absolutely love this show. Um, so when you're starting to see, you know, these board, this board test and you're starting to see this, wow, this is very smart. This is very heartfelt. This has got some substance to it. Um, how soon into your working do you start to get to, or who are you going to as far as after you get on the show, who are some of your mentors or who are some of the veteran artists that you're going to, that are helping you through this process? Well, uh, Clay Hall was the supervising director and mm -hmm. I'd say, he was the biggest influence on me. Um, and then there was Alan Jacobson. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, worked with other board artists. Uh, Oreste Canistrelli was actually um, a student of mine. I taught storyboarding, and uh, he ended up as one of the uh, premier board artists on mm -hmm. King of the Hill. And uh, Whitney Martin, I shared a room with Whitney Martin. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, to answer your question is um, I sought help wherever I could find it Yeah, really. And um, it was, that's the thing uh, was the people were just so great to work with, you know, everybody was um, very uh, generous with their time or their, their thoughts. And, uh, and not just that, but you also, you know, for each episode, you had a director overseeing mm. you and guiding you. You know, and you go back and like uh, you look at the scripts were tight. Uh, Greg Daniels oversaw, you know, that aspect of it. So it was a pretty tight run um, operation, you know. So, now, we'll, we'll get into those episodes that you had uh, emailed me earlier. But do you remember the first episode you worked on? Oh, boy, do I remember the first no, I don't think I remember the first episode. I I I remember like uh bits and pieces. Well, it's been 23 years, I think. Yeah. And uh, 
I don't remember where I left my car keys, but um, the, uh, the the one I told you about was, um, oh yeah, one that stands out is I worked for, Trisha Garcia was the director and it was called Oh Yeah, and it yeah. had Snoop Dogg was a, mm-hmm. a character in that, and um, they take in a, uh, a lady of the evening as a, a house guest, I guess, and Hank becomes a pimp daddy. Yes, he does. That was pretty good. And um, what I remember about that is like, uh, you know, when you when I worked as a storyboard artist, there was like, first of all, the uh, time frame was very tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may be off on this, but I think we had like a week to do thumbnails, maybe a little bit longer, and just a couple of weeks to clean up. And um, and I, I did very tight thumbnails, but uh, the way I work is um uh for me every board is like starting storyboarding over again mm-hmm. i mean you look at the blank page and i ask myself how the hell am i going to get through this but what happens for myself is uh, reading the script i'll get an idea for one shot i know mm-hmm. i want to put this shot into the film and it it's, doesn't mean it's a great shot it yeah. means it's, for me it's like a starting point and I can work backwards and forwards from that shot. Like, how do I get to it? And where mm-hmm. do I go from it? That, and so the one shot I had was uh, the the prostitute character, forget her name, but had taken um, Peggy shopping at the mall. Yeah. And I just knew I wanted to do a shot where they're coming up the elevator and you just see them rising up into the scene and going to the store. And that was probably the initial drawing I did. Um, and then, like I said, I've worked backwards and forwards from that. But, you know, everybody's different. Every story artist works differently. But uh, for me, um, that's usually what happens. I'll get an establishing shot and uh, try to set it up from there. Now, when you guys are handed episodes, uh, I've, I've heard it done. Obviously, you know, animation is just so different across the board. Huge collaboration, but everybody's got their own style. Everybody's got their own flair. Um, a lot of things I've heard is like they'll pair, um, they'll pair like action guys with action guys and funny guys with funny guys. Did they do that in King of the Hill as well? Uh, yes, actually, I, to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was definitely not one of the action guys where um, – Somebody like Oreste Benestrelli uh, would fit that bill. And most of, I mean, most of the artists could ha- handle the type of action that was done a- in those scripts. But um, yeah, they, they would, they would cast accordingly. Um, that was the director's choice. And uh, so I might get the, the scene where, um, for instance, in the Hoya oh yeah episode, I would get the scenes dealing with, the intimacy between Peggy and uh, the prostitute character mm-hmm. and somebody else might get the car chase sequence. Yeah. So that, that kind of thing. Yeah. The only reason I asked that one is because uh, seeing how you guys are divvied up and obviously I've heard so much, you know, from at least from the behind the scenes for King of the Hill, that the scripts were always really tight. Um, you guys obviously were on an even tighter uh, deadline to, you said a week to thumbnail and then a week after that one to. Yeah, it could have been a little longer, but I, re- 
let me put it this way. There's two things I remember about the, um, th that it was the, uh, the pain from the pressure, you know, of getting it done. Yeah. But, and then uh, the people. So you had a little mm -hmm. bit of the bad, but you had the good of uh, the, the people giving you the support. And that always makes it that much more special, man. Yeah. You know, I've, I've said it and this is not me advocating for less money in my job because boy, oh boy, do they get me 110% of the time. But uh, I've always said it, man, you know, it wasn't not always because when I was younger, I always thought you just, you got to chase the bigger payday. You know, when it came down to it, man, uh, now I want to work with great people. You know, I still want to make decent money, but the people make it worth staying because if the people suck and the money's good, every day sucks at work, man. Um, so hearing that King of the Hill was so tight knit, and you can kind of see it. You know, I always, I've always said it, man. You can really see when people are having fun at what they do because it translates in the art. Whatever, whatever it is you do. I mean, I work in the food industry, so when people are having fun. The food yeah. tastes better. The food looks better. Everything is that much better. It's the same thing with you guys' art, you know? Well, it's even integral to um, when you're casting for a feature film or anything that you you have a team that can work together, you know? And mm -hmm. that, that's a big part of, or that helps make the project go at least a little bit smoother. Yeah. Know? Oh, I can't imagine, man. Uh, but sticking on Ho Yeah for a little while, because I just rewatched this, and I think that for the life of me, I want to say her name was Tammy, but I feel like it's not Tammy, but I think it is Tammy. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching, let us know what the prostitute's name was, uh, the lady of the evening. But, uh, you know, watching this one as a kid and then hearing Snoop Dogg, because I was really deep. I still am. I love hip-hop. I love all styles of music, but hip-hop has a special place in my heart, and that 90s hip-hop in particular uh, Alabaster was that pimp's name, man. Uh, and just seeing, you know, seeing and hearing Snoop pop up, like, is that Snoop? I was like, oh shit, man. King of the Hill has got some clout. They got Snoop Dogg on here as a voiceover artist, man. Uh, did you ever get to see any of the, uh, any of the voice actors doing their thing? And did you get to see this one done? No, I didn't get to ever get to no. see any voice actors. The, the most I got to see, um, there were the time Mike Judge came through to say mm -hmm. hi to everybody, and uh, Greg Daniels came through to say hi to everything, everyone. And then there was like, um, you know, when you finish a board, it goes out to the writers and um, and and the directors. And the, and the best thing was they would leave a note on the front of your board, like "Great job" or mm -hmm. uh, "So well done." And those were always. Um, you know, it was like getting a gold star yeah. in your home when you were a kid, kind of thing. And so that that was like um the um a big part of uh not the incentive, but it was a good thing to look forward to. But some writers would actually give you a call and say, Hey, I uh I like what you did there or something like that. And I forget I know this sounds crazy, I forget who called me, but I did get a call and oh yeah. From mm -hmm. uh, either the writers or maybe even Mike Judge, but but it was um, you think I'd remember that, but it, it, that was a big deal. Um, yeah, you know, I know we're board artists that got calls all the time. I wasn't one of them, but you know, it was. Well, well it's it's it always good. nice when you're when you're recognized. You know, when somebody comes out, they go out of their way because they don't have to. I've worked at so many places where you're just a cog in the machine, man. And to hear that 
They had the uh, – because it's a morale booster at the end of the day, man. These people are coming up to you. They already know you're working hard, and then you're making their job that much more fun and that much more easier or that much yeah. easier. I don't know if I should put more in there. I failed English in high no, school, Bill. So, yeah, there we go. Um, you know, we figured this one out, man. Uh, so, it, like I said, it, it was. it's always nice to hear that even behind the scenes, it felt like you guys were a family. Like I said, that's why you got so much of this heart injected into the show. Um, yeah, and just so you know, it wasn't just like uh, story. Well, even though like story guys, song and story guys, it was it was the the whole process. Like there were layout guys like uh, mm-hmm. Ian Wilcox and um, rest in peace. Yes, yes, yeah. uh, just a great guy, and um, you know, and and other and and the PAs and all the production people. It was just. Um, you know, everybody supported everybody. So it was a good, good mix. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, uh, with the, um, the, the supervising and everything, the directions, the directors, mm-hmm. it was great. That's good, man. And uh, you brought him up, man. Uh, obviously, he, he passed away a few years back, uh, tragically. Um, do you have any, anytime somebody comes up that, uh, is no longer here, we've done it with, uh, so many people, Tuck Tucker, you know, legendary board artist. you know, we've done it with Christina Cavanaugh, legendary voice actress. Um, but anytime somebody that is no longer here that passes up that, you know, you might've gotten to work with, do you have any cool stories or interactions that you might've had with Ian or? Uh, well, yeah, uh, the, Ian never met a movie he couldn't criticize. But uh, <laughs> Ian was just such a, it's just so hard to describe. He's such a great guy. The way I described him and describe him was uh, he had, um, he was just like such an innocent uh, guy. Mm-hmm. He, he had no guile. You know, there was no, there was no um, agenda with Ian. What you saw was what you got. And, so, Ian, you know, we didn't just um, storyboard. There were guys, like for myself, we wanted to be writers or we wanted to create our own projects, things like that. So Ian was working on scripts while he was doing layout. And we would read each other's material and then give feedback. And, uh, and you know, he, he just had a great sense of humor. And it was just like hanging around with a big kid. And he, yeah. he just made you feel younger, you know, so... I miss him a lot. You know, I didn't see him a lot in the years. I saw him at my birthday. He came to my birthday. But um, uh, but every time you talk to him, it's like you never you just saw each other yesterday. You know yeah. what I mean? And that kind of friend. And those are the best kind of friends where you just pick up right where you left off. And like time hasn't even passed. And Ian was one of those people. Thank you for sharing that. Like I said, anytime we can, you know, reminisce about the folks that had such a uh, impact and not only your life, but a lot of our lives, man, uh, we get to paint a different picture of that person and see, you know, another layer of uh, what Ian was, man. So thank you for sharing that. Um, when I think of, uh, like I said, when I think of, oh yeah, man, uh, I think of, obviously I think of Snoop Dogg, but I think of Hank, the pimp, that hat was so slick. And then one of my favorite characters, obviously, uh, you know, with the revival coming up, it's going to be interesting to see if they touch this character at all because he did pass away um, like the season before the last season. Uh, Cotton Hill. 
Uh, one of my favorite, he's probably my favorite character throughout this entire series. I mean, I, I love to hate this guy. Um, you know, getting to hear about World War II through Cotton Hill was a big reason why I'm such a huge World War II fan. You know, getting to he- even though, you know, th- during this time, you know, didn't have Google back then. So anything anybody spouted off, you would believe I'm like, oh, shit, this guy really had his shins blown off. Oh, shit, he's really got shin jelly. Oh, shit, his knees are really attached to his feet. You know, so you start hearing all this. Oh, he f- killed 50 Nazis. So you hear all of this shit. And I'm like, fuck, dude, I want to know more about this. So this led me to reading more and wanting to know more about World War II. But like I said, anytime Cotton Hill was on on the screen, man, he was an instant scene stealer. But the whole interaction with him and Tammy, the prostitute, I really hope that her name is Tammy. But the, the the prostitute was just him rattling off places that he had slept with the prostitute, man. That scene is my favorite scene in the entire episode. Uh, did you ever get to work on any of the Cotton Cotton Hill scenes in in this episode? Do you remember? Not in this episode, but I did. I, I worked on uh, scenes with Cotton in other episodes. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I could say he was, you know, different to draw. You know, there was, yeah. you know, that. But uh, and I like the character too. Um, I think my favorite character, uh, if I was to put favorites, uh, several was, but first was Dale. Mm-hmm. I, oh I man, just, Dale is great. <laughs> but, uh, just the fact that he he's not just uh, Dale Gribble, but he's also Rusty Shackleford. Rusty Shackleford, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and then Bill. You know mm-hmm. what's not to like about Bill, and so you know, and I too, I'm a World War II buff, so mm-hmm. I, I did appreciate the uh, that aspect of Cotton. Yeah, so yeah, those those two characters, in particular Cotton and Dale. I think I told Alan Jacobson this when I had him on my uh, when I had him on my, podca- my podcast a few weeks ago, and I told him like, dude, I I played I used to play D and D with my friends, and we would play online because all of us live in different states, and then I would always roll a wizard, and then whenever it got really really hairy, like really bad, like we were all probably it was going to be a TPK, which is total party kill, ladies and gentlemen, for you non nerds out there. Um, I would always you know roll to yeah, <laughs> I would always roll to reach into my robes and pull out pocket sand because of Dale Gribble's pocket sand, man. And my uh, my DM was always a dick. Shane, I love you, man, but you're a dick DM. Uh, mm-hmm. He would tell me, well, you didn't pick up any sand when you were in the, you know, when you were in the, oh, what was it, the town or whatever it was. I'm like, dude, we're in a fucking beach or we're in a dungeon. You can't tell me that everything's concrete down here. You didn't see me pick up the sand, but I've had the sand in my pocket the entire time because that's what Rusty Shackleford would have done. That's what Dale Gribble would have done. Uh, it never really worked out for me. Uh, I never really got to throw pocket sand, um, but it was always the intent to throw pocket sand any chance right. I got, man. So Dale Gribble, fantastic character. Uh, sticking on the characters for just a little bit, man. Uh, you said, you know, Cotton, Dale, um, you know, and Bill were were some of your favorite characters to, to work with. Uh, what were some of the harder characters that you got to work with, man? Was there anybody that was really difficult to slip into? Hmm. It's uh, I, well, I guess Peggy for me, mm. um, <laughs> only because I I didn't always agree with her personality, but yeah. you know, but th- that was just me, I guess. But no, all the other characters were fine. Uh, um, you know, probably had a small crush on Luann. You know? Oh, everybody does, you know. And um, uh, I loved um. 
uh, John Redcorn, and mm -hmm. yeah, you know, most of the characters were fun. I loved uh, Boomhauer, uh, <laughs> you know, his uh, mumbling and everything, like I'm doing now, you know. Do you so, do you know how that character came about? I I really don't. Uh, well, you know, just you got to figure writers or Mike Judge must have known somebody like that in Texas. You know, well, back in the day. There, yeah. I think it's on. Uh, so whenever whenever I do a deep dive into um, you know a specific series or a specific studio or anything like that, I try to get as much information as I can. So documentaries, you know, DVD uh, behind the scenes, like any of those extras. And there's one on YouTube and it's like 20 minutes long or it might have been a podcast. I can't remember because I literally just went down a rabbit hole. Anything that said Mike Judge, Greg Daniels, anything King of the Hill, I just downloaded on Spotify or watched on YouTube. And I just tried to get everything I could to just absorb as much as possible. So it was one of those two things. It was either a DVD behind the scenes thing or it was on a podcast. And uh, during um, Beavis and Butthead, the first run there was a guy that had called in that sounded exactly like Boomhauer. And he would, he was just talking a mile a minute and saying like, how bad I'll, when I find the clip, I'll send it over to you so you can check it out. And it's just yeah. him. It's like him 30 seconds talking, how the guy was talking and he was fixated. He said something about buttholes. And he was like, I wanted to put that into this character. And I had this idea for Boomhauer, the guy, you don't understand anything he says. He eventually gets to a point that one word, but the 42 words he said before it, made no sense it had nothing to do with the plot it had nothing to do with the story and you just get to that dang old buttholes man you know so uh just hearing how that character kind of came to be and how you know the voice came around and knowing mike did it i was just like this is such a fascinating he's a fun character too man when you look at boomhauer he's yeah, so yeah. fun to watch you know yeah and a mysterious life too behind him you yeah. know <laughs> absolutely man uh he's 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 definitely if anybody was a secret agent 007 yeah. it's boomhauer for sure um he's working for the nsa um you know some of those other episodes that you had uh you had wrote and said you remember these ones man queasy rider and trouble with gribbles man which one do you want to talk about next well uh i guess um trouble with gribbles would be next and i didn't write them like storyboarded one. on them storyboard but, excuse me yeah it's okay um yeah, again, this is just getting back to what you were asking about, like, how do you come up with, um, you know, uh, what, when you're going to board a sequence, mm -hmm. you know, how do you go about boarding the sequence? And Sean Cashman was the director on this one. And uh, in the episode, I had the episode where Dale is going to take the witness stand. Oh, and, dude. And, Great scene. And cross-examine himself. And... Uh, like I knew when I read the script, I, I knew instantly I get uh, two words popped in my head and it was just uh, Woody Allen. And um, yeah. Yeah, Woody Allen had that scene and I think it was played against him or I may be wrong about the movie where he does that, you know, mm -hmm. he, he um, cross examines himself. So it was I'm sure the writers kind of did a little homage uh, to that. So I. um but still, you know, you have to keep that visually interesting. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. you, you'll notice in the scene there's, you know, cutaways and uh, um, upshots and downshots and different angles handle, you know, to handle the scene and but and to keep the, the humor going. And it was an incredibly funny written 
uh, sequence. Uh, but some of the things I did, that, and I won't say they weren't scripted, but like uh, I, I have them like scale over the witness box and just drop down off, off scene, and then pop up, you know, like yeah. in time with the, uh, and you know, that's pretty much where, like I said, I started boarding and mm -hmm. build out from, and of course I, I got a ton of direction on that from Sean you know, um, uh, where to put in some insert shots and uh, things like that. But it still, it still cracks me up. And the dialogue is so, so good. Like, um, uh, you know, he pulls out the People magazine. And <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny stuff. If people get a chance, you know, go ahead and Google it and, and, and watch that scene. It's pretty funny. That is... Like when I think of all Dale scenes, that one is up there. Um, you know, obviously the uh, the gun club takeover with Dale and he turns into a straight mercenary. That one's up there. Um, you know, I'd have to sit here and really think of like all the Daleisms um, because he's he's just like cotton for me. It's so hard to pick one like one is one and the other one is one A, you know, one A, one B type of thing. It's so hard. You know, because there's so much complexity to both of those characters. And, you know, Dale, like I said, anytime he's on, I'm laughing. It doesn't matter how many times I've seen this episode. I'm so glad you brought up the cross-examination because, in my opinion, that's the best scene in the entire episode. I mean, I love how he's just getting points because what's funny about this is this is I'm going to date myself here. You know, my mom and my dad smoke cigarettes and shit, and they had the mar or my grandparents, excuse me, my grandpa in, uh, in specific. You know, he had the Marlboro points, so you would tear these things off, ladies and gentlemen. And you would send them in from your cigarettes, and Marlboro would send you shit. And I remember the talking bass fish. I can't remember what they called the bass fish yeah, from Marlboro, yeah, yeah. but the Manitoba yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, something yeah. Billy Bass or some shit like that. You know, it was something something crazy. Um, so seeing all of this, like swag from manitoba cigarettes from dale gribble is like dude i lived this life i saw my grandpa in marlboro hats and and fucking sweaters like dale was in so i was just like this is life imitating art or art imitating life either way it's a sad concept but i thought it was hilarious because i got to see this in real life and then i got to see it you know animated um and then just the whole sequence with him being a dick but he's trying to help his wife you yeah. know get whatever it is she wants to so you see this character that you think he's just full of government conspiracies. He's just full of this shady shit. And then you see him, he's like, no, in his own little twisted, weird mind, you know, he's doing something that's going to help somebody else, you know? So like I said, once again, that heart is injected into these characters. Right. Yes. And that's what, like I said earlier, drew, drew me to it. It was the fact that they had the humor in the heart, you know? So it was, again, um, Tip of the hat to the writers, and uh, also, obviously the the story crew. <laughs> yeah, man, you guys boarded you boarded the hell out of that scene, man. That that scene, like I said, that scene is the best scene in that episode, man. That whole cross examination, I've 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 laughed so hard at that. No matter how many times it comes up, him jumping over, and then I can't remember the actress's name, but you know he says her name, and then he's like horse face, and then goes to the next one. Oh and yeah, it's just yeah. him, it's just him horse shitting on. Face. Yeah. yeah, who was it? Um, yeah, uh, I can't remember her name either. She's one Very, of the one of the. She was like one of the most beautiful 
people yeah. at the time, you know, like yeah, Sex in the City, I think, is the show she was on. Um, but yeah, it was just him, just like I said, and then as quick as it was after he proved his point, you know, Manitoba just goes, All right, man, can we push this case to dismiss? The case dismissed, get the hell out of my courtroom. And I was like, Yeah, this is fucking great, man. Um, when you're doing something like that, are you getting obviously you say you get a scene and then you either work, you know, from that either forward or backwards in this in the series. Generally, how many of you guys, storyboard artists, are working on one episode? Did it differ? We have used three. You know, three. it's broken into three acts, and each mm-hmm. story artist gets a, an act, uh, mm-hmm. usually around 11 pages, sometimes 12. Sometimes, it, you know, um, sometimes you'll have an action sequence in your scene, and it, it'll be, it'll mean a lot more work. So you might not get like, 12 pages you might get 10 because of the action scene or something mm-hmm. like that because it'll take longer to board or sometimes you you get one one guy will get more pages than the other but usually it averages out if i remember correctly to about 11 12 pages each or something like that i could around that number and again it's cast you know mm-hmm. like uh give him the you know, this is a comedic scene. This is a action scene, or whatever. It's, well, it's not always cast, but yeah, we, there are times that they do cast it. You know, I, I'd like this person to take this part, that kind of, and that's all. That's at the di- director's discretion. So, where do you think you excelled the most at? Well, me, well, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm more of a. Uh, 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 I see myself as more of a writer. Uh, artist and an artist writer you know like um i like i i my start was in comic strips mm-hmm. and um and so i was always attracted to humor so i see myself as a gag guy mostly yeah. like um trying trying to punch up scenes uh you know with 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 comedy um also i i i worked some time in feature and I was always looking for the emotional touchstone, like, yeah. um, how can I, you know, what is this scene saying? Like, uh, what is the concept behind the scene? How can I do it in a funny way? And then if, uh, how can I do it in an emotional way? And if I can't do both, how can I do one or the other? That yeah. kind of, so, but that was my strength. I'd say my weaknesses were in my, um or in my you know perspective and you know those kind of the drawing skills but uh because i didn't go to art school mm-hmm. and um but um uh one of the best things about um you know working in in, in my career was being surrounded with just the most incredible talent and uh, I, I've I've been influenced by there there were people storyboards I would take home and study like mm-hmm. Hank Tucker when I worked on Spider Man and and um, you know just uh, just in, um, incredible board guy David Silverman like his Simpson boards you know he he did that um, Land of Chocolate with Homer that thing yeah. was amazing you know and uh those are the kind of influences and those are the things i would study plus they handed out 
they actually gave out like uh, different kinds of um, um, material saying, you know, here's what we're looking for, you know, mm -hmm. so it, that, that helped too. Well, I can imagine. Um, with, uh, before we, before we get off of uh, trouble or actually no, I remember what the, uh, the original point was for that one. Now, when you feel like you're either story writer, writer story, uh, what's the, what's the difference for that? Obviously, you said you were coming from comic strips and shit. So if you could punch up a gag, it was more gag driven. But is there a distinction between just those two? Did you feel like you wanted to well, write more? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the distinction is um, is in animation is uh, being cinematic and um, mm -hmm. very filmic, you know, okay. where um, in the types of uh, strips I was doing, that wasn't as important. But um you know, and then as far as uh, what's the difference in the, the thing about the comic strip for me was uh, I was everything. I was the director. I was mm -hmm. the writer, uh, you know, so it was my little world that I could create. And yeah. there was nothing more than that, nothing better than that. So that's mm -hmm. why I was drawn to it so much. Um, and with storyboarding, you know, you there's revisions, there's, um, you know, fixes, all, 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 all sorts of things. And, you know, and then there's, there's rules you have to follow, you know, you don't cross the line, uh, you, know, you know, compositional rules, um, mm -hmm. you know, and also, you know, executing pans and things like that. So, um, but I'm not saying that I, I didn't enjoy that. Uh, I totally yeah. loved. It. I loved every minute of it. So, except for the pressure, <laughs> there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of pressure, and uh, you know, I remember, or at least in my mind, I remember. It was like I said, twenty years ago. But I remember early on in storyboarding, like you used to be able to draw a character, and uh, the background, mm -hmm. and you wouldn't have to draw the background in the next panel or the next panel or the next you just write bgsa background same as mm -hmm. and then um if i had a character and they were going to walk off stage i didn't have to walk them off stage i just had to draw an arrow and say zips off stage you know and so the boarding was like a really quick process and then things started getting when they started doing animatics for different um shows um more was requested you had to see more of the final film in that animatic form and so more and more story artists became not just uh story artists but they became layout character character designers sometimes you had to design a character and um so it got um more complex in my mind as time went on and um and then uh uh and the time seemed to shrink and i i used to remember there would be a time you get a script you do the board and there was like a day of um decompression mm -hmm. you, you, like i just remember that day of like oh i turned it in <laughs> and i can catch my breath and i remember there was no day of decompression on um in television uh in the uh in the primetime stuff uh 
I'd be finishing my board and I'd see a script thrown down on my desk next to me, the next script. And I'd, I'd look back and forth and go, oh my gosh, you know? So, so yeah, it was, it was, there was that kind of pressure, but you know, I survived it and, uh, uh, and was happy to do it, you know, and they, they paid you well. So, yeah. Do you, did you guys get to do any of the classic storyboard pitches for King of the Hill? And if so, do you remember any of them? No, no, I didn't never had to stand up in front of anybody to no. pitch. I, I did that early on in feature before, you know, before they started, uh, they went to zoom and all that other stuff mm -hmm. lately, but, um, uh, that was a whole art form in itself. You had to be able to act, and some people could do voices, and and uh, I wasn't one of those people. But um, I I managed to get through that. I um, not to go off of King of the Hill, but I remember my very first pitch at DreamWorks to Jeffrey Katzenberg. He had a he had a saying was, "If you don't come in Saturday." don't bother coming in Sunday. Um, and it was actually, it was my first pitch to him was on a Sunday. And uh, I I had come down with a flu or something, but I had a pitch to him and I, I, I pitched to him and it went well. I got, I think I got like um, three or four panels turned over, you know, mm -hmm. like take these out, rest of it can go, that kind of thing. What movie so, was it for? Uh, back then, um, Oh, we were doing. I I I left um, King of the Hill to go to Father of the Pride at at, okay. at, at DreamWorks. So, yeah, Clay Hall, um, this storyboard supervisor, had left to go to DreamWorks, and mm -hmm. then um, later on down the line, uh, I called and asked if there were any openings, and uh, he uh, he got he brought me on to do uh, storyboards on that. And Did you that ever... eventually huh? go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, and that eventually led me to uh getting into feature. So did did you ever get to work with a uh, Rick Farmelo? I know the name very well, but no, I never worked no. or if I did, sorry, I, I don't re I remember, <laughs> but I do know Rick's name. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, the... I've seen it a lot through the years. Well, the only reason I ask is because uh, you know, he worked on the first Shrek with Tom Cito. And I've had both of those gentlemen on and, uh, you know, they always they, they talked about the early days of DreamWorks. So I was just wondering if there was any crossover because it's insane that I'll ask you guys, hey, do you know such and such? And then it's either obviously yes or no. But how many of you guys know each other? And then those people know each other. And then by the time I've done all of these episodes, it's like everybody has it's like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever that is or six yeah, degrees, yeah. Yeah, you know, six. whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So Bacon. I figured yeah <laughs> but um so you know so the next one up that, that you had mentioned uh when we were talking through email was uh queasy writer uh yeah, that's, and this I is that's when they went to sturges i believe yeah this uh, is when they uh doing counseling and they said hey you guys instead of getting two bikes you get one hank ends up losing his glasses so he has to ride uh, i don't know if i don't think they call it the bitch seat um but the the wife seat or whatever it is uh for they called I don't, it I don't, the bitch seat didn't they did they I'm not sure. I can't remember. I just watched this last night, so I should remember this. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, blame it on the weed, not on my heart. I 
for this life of me, it's 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 here, but it's not here. It'll get off, or I'll get to it as soon as uh, as soon as we hit record, or as soon as we hit end. Excuse me from recording. It'll be like, okay. God damn it, they did do bitch seat, you know. So, yeah. but yeah, that's essentially the uh, the synopsis for that episode. What do you remember from this one? Well, actually, unfortunately, not a lot. Um, no. I remember like, uh, oh my gosh, I got to draw motorcycles. <laughs> I yeah. remember that. But also doing um, research on what Sturgis looked like, you know, mm-hmm. I remember that. But I don't remember much about the episode itself, unfortunately. Um, Would you guys ever take trips anywhere? Like if you guys were doing a specific, like, say, the Dallas Super Bowl or something like that. I'm, I don't know football, so. No, I don't think the budget was there. That's more mm-hmm. like a feature thing mm-hmm. that they do in features. Like they'll send you to China if you're doing Kung Fu Panda or something like mm-hmm. that. Or, you know, um, well, even on Father the Bride, they send everybody to Vegas to see mm-hmm. Secret and Roy. I didn't go, but they before I got on the show and um, things like that. But I don't think the television budget allows for that kind of thing. You got to remember just the time mm-hmm. that they had to, to do all this amount of work, you know, and, and not just here, but overseas, you know, and then to get it on air, it's just, it's an incredible, uh, it's a feat for sure. Process. Yeah. 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 I'm always thing, surprised at what if you guys I had a do. regret, If I had a regret about, I should have taken more time to learn, uh, sheet timing and understand, mm-hmm animation timing better i i had opportunities to do that and uh i i chose to go in different directions so what was it about story because i I've, I've been so fascinated i'll give you the brief the brief story so when i first started doing this podcast my 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 knowledge on in animation was very small, like it is with anything when you start deep diving into it for the first time. So I assumed, like if I'm talking to Bill right now, like I'm talking to you right now, I would assume that Bill did characters. I would assume he did backgrounds. I would assume he did painting. I thought like it was like a jack of all trades, essentially. Like one person, you guys had so many different hats that you guys wore throughout the animation process. And it wasn't until... You know, I really started reading, you know, reading books that everybody would recommend to me or talking to more guests that there was a background, there was a character designer, there was keyframe, there was this, there was that. So, you know, my knowledge and and my scope of animation just widened and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And what I've been fascinated with since doing this one is like what spoke to people in particular and why they went down specific paths. I've been so fascinated with backgrounds over the last couple of years it's just something really beautiful about world building. And for me, I don't, I, like I said, I don't know what it is. I think it's just an interesting seeing like the world that all of these characters and inhabit. And then the world we're sucked into whenever we're watching a movie, a TV show, you know, we kind of got to suspend disbelief, but you know, in, in my opinion, just starts, obviously it'll start with the, the initial concept of the idea and the characters bring you in and then the world building and all that other stuff. But for, for some reason it's been backgrounds for me that I absolutely love as far as animation mm-hmm. goes. What is it about you that that you know storyboarding spoke to you? Obviously, you said you wanted to do more of the animation timing. You know, if you could go back, you could and would. But was there any other avenue within animation that like really spoke to you? Yeah, well, storyboarding completely because mm-hmm. it has the word story in it. First of all, for me, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, there's a couple things. Uh, one before I went to film Roman, uh, and this was long before King of the Hill. I was working at Disney Comics uh, as a production artist, 
and the uh, the company wasn't supporting the um the comic book they they wouldn't even let the comic books at the um at the park because they were afraid kids would drop them and it, they would become trash so when your own company isn't going to help you sell the product yeah. you're and you know it's not going to last so um uh, and i had a chance to get into animation like i said and i looked and i looked at um character and a background and uh, um layout and stuff and i thought to myself what's the last thing to go what's the last mm -hmm. thing that they want to send overseas and to me it was story because you know our stories are told from our culture and our and and our our experiences you know mm -hmm. so i thought that's going to be the strongest place you can go and plus i love i love telling stories i love writing stories and then uh and i love like coming up with the emotional um impact you know so that was my uh motivation initially mm -hmm. was okay this is the best place you can go to in animation for what you're passionate about and also has the most chance at longevity mm -hmm. You know, uh, you talked about like there's guys who do action and there's guys that do, um, you know, the uh, other comedy. Kind of, yeah, comedy kind of thing. And the best thing you can be is is diversify yourself as a story mm -hmm. artist. And and there are some just mind blowingly incredibly talented guys that can do both or everything. They can they can do character design. They can do book. You know. Those are few and far between, but they're there, and um, those are the, the the ones you look to for um, inspiration and direction, I guess. So, so for me, it was uh, I'm going to learn from the best people. I'm going to look at the best people, and I'm going to learn from the best people how to tell the best stories I can tell, basically. So that's huh. and I, hey. I'm still learning. You never stop yeah. learning. And and I don't think I've learned enough. I mean, in, in even in the short time I was, uh, you know, doing it. So constantly it's a it's an ongoing thing the, the the thing is, you want to keep that. You want to find a way to keep the passion. And, you know, sometimes uh, I've seen it. You can get uh, I've seen board artists get burnt out you know like mm -hmm. just from the uh i i had a, a roommate um that i boarded with and he turned to me one day and he said i'm done because i can't yeah. do it and he said i said take me with you because it was <laughs> it was uh it was it was, pretty, it was pretty intense and that was just before the christmas break so mm -hmm. Christmas break saved me. I was able to come back again and do another year, but I was ready to just throw it out, throw it in, you know, because it was that intense. But oh, um, I'm glad you and, came back for that year. Oh, thank you. And it, and you know, I I don't want to exaggerate. Like I don't want to say every day was like a crack of the whip. There were some fun, incredibly great Absolutely. days, you know, and and of com camaraderie and all that stuff, but there 
there was always that sort of Damocles hanging over your head. Um, and and I, I don't know about other storyboard artists, but when I left the studio, my boards went with me in my head. Mm-hmm. I, I never stopped thinking about them, even when I was home. I'm like, how am I going to do this when I get in tomorrow? What am I going to do here? That kind of thing. So, right. well, just... if it makes you feel any better, man. So I cook for a living and I am on my <laughs> on my resume because it's, it's very weird. So I am an AM Sue, right? So I'm essentially the guy that comes in and opens up the entire restaurant. I am literally plug and play. You can put me anywhere and I make magic from my fingertips, right? So uh, I've I've had a huge passion for bread. I love bread. I love making it. I love everything about it. Civilizations were literally built over breaking bread with somebody, right? So there's something primal. There's something very fascinating about four ingredients. Well, three, really, when you think about it, flour, water, and salt. That's all that ever, that's all that it takes to make bread. Um, you know, with the, with the addition of, you know, commercial yeast and everything like that, it makes it a little bit easier for the home bakers, but for the most part, it's just those three ingredients. And when I go home, everything comes with me. There's like a checklist up here. I've got everything prioritized up here of what I need to get done the next day. Then I have everything prioritized from that, how it needs to get done, where it needs to get done. Then I have everybody's schedule in my head. This is when my chef comes in. This is when pastry comes in. This is when the line comes in. This is when these guys come in. This is when this person comes in. So then I have to take that whole checklist that I started and rearrange it to specific times in between where I'm going to have the most real estate, when I'm going to have all of the burners open for all of the stoves, the ovens, anything we have, when I can use that. And then I have to take that same checklist that I've switched in my head four times now and then implement that to, do I need to get out early today? Do I need to stay late today? Do I have any deliveries today? So then that checklist, that checklist will essentially evolve five to six to seven times on my hour plus drive home from work. And then by the time I get up the next morning, I'm thinking about it and it's it's probably not good for you. It, it, it's probably horrible, but I have this really good thing where I can like flip a switch where this is when I think about it, and this is when I don't think about it. And that saved me because the first year and a half at this restaurant, because we were we came in like an entire new crew from the top to the bottom. Everybody was new. It was right after COVID. So we're going to a third year here together. Most of us, um, well, some of us, there's there's been a huge turnover. Because uh, like, like you were saying with your friend with the storyboard, he's like, I'm done. Uh, a lot of people just once they hit busy season, they're like, oh, shit, I don't want to do this anymore. This is very difficult. This stress alone, I can't I can't keep up with. You know, so we've lost a few people, but, you know, it's par for the course. But, uh, you know, so I, I can I can agree and I can understand that that mental checklist, like, how the fuck am I going to do all of this tomorrow? How am I going to get this done? How the fuck am I going to be done in a week, two weeks, three weeks? I'm not going to make it until Christmas. So, you know, that, that, that strikes and that sits pretty close to home with me. Cause I can, I can, I can I have empathy for what you guys were going through, man. Cause I go through it consistently and it's, it's tough, man. It's, it's pressure. That pressure is a motherfucker when you, when you look back at it, man. So like I said, I'm glad you guys persevered and got through it and gave us some outstanding cartoons, man. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so as we start to, as we start to transition into the last little bit of this chat, uh, there's one thing that I absolutely love asking you guys whenever you've worked on something, especially to me, because 
everybody's got their Simpsons, their King of the Hill, their South Park. There's something out there that speaks to everybody in particular, man. And King of the Hill just happens to be that show for me. Um, but for you, when you hear that term, King of the Hill, you think about all that you've done on that show. You think about all the friendships. Is there one word, one sentence, one phrase that you can you can put to King of the Hill that when you hear that name, that's what comes up to you? Wow, that's a... That's, a, that's deep. Put, Some philosophical yeah, shit, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd have to say, uh, as corny as it sounds, it's friendship. Mm -hmm. Because um, I've literally had friends on that show who've saved my life in some ways and um so i'm gonna have to leave it with that friendship that's a beautiful sentiment man um yeah that's that's really good um so we're gonna go into some of those questions uh that that i had pre-gamed you with the first two you get a mount rushmore so you get four people on your mount rushmore plus an honorable mention and these are anybody throughout your entire career uh that has inspired you and helped you push your career down the path well, it would start with Charles Schultz. Oh, man. I want and to show then, you this real uh, quick. Can you see? So I got Snoopy and Woodstock, and this one's going to be kind of hard. And I got Charlie Brown on my on my other. I'm a huge Charles Schultz fan. That's Greatest great. comic strip of all time. Yeah. And then uh, I would say Sergio Aragones mm -hmm. of Man Magazine is um, my number two. Um, Bill Watterson would be my third. I mean, you're talking, you see, again, I'm coming from a comic strip background. That's, that's perfectly fine. Really, I love it. That's And then um, uh, uh, Gary Larson would be mm -hmm. number four uh, with the far side. That uh, Gary Larson, if you look at every panel, it's a, a, he's telling a story. And not only that, but he's telling it in an incredibly humorous way in one panel. And as far as like, um, Calvin and Hobbes goes well. That speaks for itself. The the draftsmanship and uh, just the artwork. And with Sergio, same thing. All pantomime, you know, and and a body of work that just you know. When I think of try to think of the size of the universe, and you think of the amount of work he he has in his uh, career, it's amazing. Um, and then, uh, Charles Schultz, I learned to read, mm -hmm. uh, from the peanuts books early, early on, uh, a real quick story. When I moved out here from uh, California, I got to meet Charles Schultz. Um, wow. At, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a long story, uh, go into it another time, but it was a Rubin awards. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in 40 years, they were holding it outside of New York city. And it was the year I moved to California and they invited cartoonists of this. I was a member of CAPS, Comic Art Professional Society. It was mm -hmm. um, Sergio had created it with Mark Evanier, Don Rico, and uh, other members. And so I got invited to this. And one of the cartoonists I met was um, Charles Schultz. And I said to him, I said, um, I still remember the very first Peanuts cartoon I ever read. He goes, you do? I said, yeah, it was uh, Charlie Brown. I was eating breakfast cereal, and he said, somebody at the Snickersnack company goofed. I got 1,479 marbles and only one Snickersnack. And it, it just cracked me up. Like, 
you know, because they used to put a prize in the cereal. And yeah. then she goes, oh, my gosh, you go back a long ways. And, <laughs> and so it was. Man, it was, Sparky calls you old, huh? Damn. <laughs> no, no, he didn't call me at all. I met him per, face to face. But, yeah. um, yeah, it was it was great. And I met him several times afterwards. Mm-hmm. And he was just, but I'd say he was the biggest influence on my life as a, a as an artist and a writer. Yeah. Who's who's your favorite? So I, I'm like I said, I'm a huge penis fan. I actually got to, uh, I had a chat Linus. with the ch- Linus. Yeah. I, hands down, Linus is. Yeah. Yeah. Linus, he's he's smart. He's he, he's uh, quick witted. Mm-hmm. He's cool. I, I, yeah, Linus is my favorite character. Woodstock's always been my guy. I love that little bird, man. It, it's just something about the colors. I mean, I I love the color yellow because of Woodstock. My phone is yellow because I, I Woodstock. The first Charlie Brown tattoo I have, I've got Snoopy hugging Woodstock with the heart above his head because I love Woodstock, man. He's just something so fun about that character. It was just like as a kid... I always rooted for him because he was like the consummate underdog. He was always small. He was always, you know, getting not, not walked over or anything like that, but you know, there were some scenes where he would just yeah. get pushed off, you know? Yeah. So he's just such a fun character. And for a little kid to to cheer for somebody that was also little, even though every character was little and, and peanuts, you know, I, I don't know, man, it's just something about that goddamn bird. I love, man. He's such a fun yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like the Snoopy as a, World War One flying ace. That yeah, that was just a cool image. So, but imagine the effect that a little yellow bird had on your life, mm-hmm. and so these these um these art forms are really important. You know, like uh, if they can, you know, give you uh, inspiration to do certain things, or that's just amazing. You know, so. Absolutely. And between in between you and I, because my wife doesn't listen to my podcast, the only reason I subscribe to the Sunday papers is so I can read the same Peanuts comics that I have sitting on my back shelf back there <laughs> so I can read yeah. them every week. I mean, I read every, every other things, too. I, you know, I do the word searches and all that other stuff because, you know, it's supposed to be good for your head and shit. So I yeah. do all of that stuff, too. But the main reason I do it is because I want to read the comics because I want to feel like a kid again. Um, like I said, huge Peanuts fan. I love Garfield. Uh, those were my two growing up. But Peanuts always surpassed everything. That was always the first comic I read. Even doesn't matter where it was that in the comic strip. Peanuts yeah. is the first one. Um, all right. So we've uh, we've did your Mount Rushmore. Now, these are two books. These books don't have to be an animation. They could be any book that's ever inspired you. I've had books of uh, churches come up because this guy I had on uh, for the Life Me Camera was last name, but Scott, he loved the tapestry for uh, all of this um, Irish work, Celtic work. So it could be any book that's ever inspired you. Well, in dealing with animation, um, and it's an older book, and it's probably been updated or, or maybe even somebody's done a better version of it, but the five C's of cinematography were um, of cinematography were uh and i don't ask me the author i could look at myself but it, uh, I, I can i'm gonna google it yeah and uh, yeah and th- th- basically that's um camera close-up continuity uh composition and cutting mm-hmm. you know so um those were the five season those were actually like um 
the things I learned studying Hank Tucker's boards. And um, and I added a fifth C for myself was concept. What is it mm. I'm trying to communicate with by using all those elements within the scene? You know, and it may be something as simple as if the character's lonely, do you do you, you want a down shot? I mean, mm. you could do it on a, a full shot too, but um, the concept helps dictate the camera or can yeah. dictate the camera and dictates too strong a word, suggests what camera yeah. to use. So that would be one. And um, an, another book would be hard, hard to, um, I'm working on a novel, but that's not coming out for another year or two. So what's that, it about? Uh, it's, 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 it has nothing to do with animation or anything. It's about a uh, an arson investigator uh, brought out of retirement to find a uh, serial arsonist that he failed to catch a decade ago. So, do you have but, a name uh, on the book? Will it be available yeah. on Amazon? I'd love to buy it once it comes out. Well, it's called Saint Florian's Torch, but okay. uh, it'll be a while before it comes out because I still have to edit the damn thing. So. Well, I'm looking forward to it. TBD. I can't wait to, to see it pop up so I can purchase it. Thank you. And um, uh, so the book, I'm listening to a book right now, an uh, audio book, and uh, it's called um, Demon Copperhead. Mm -hmm. And it is an amazing um book about like uh this woman has written about this 10 year old boy and she's got the voice of this character he's mm -hmm. from southern virginia and uh it's just about his life in virginia i'm not sure how how um incredible the story is but the dialogue in this story is just amazing mm -hmm. and uh and and the visuals that it it uh, offers so i'm about two-thirds of the way through that and that would be the second book I would recommend. Um, Tom Robbins and um, even Cowgirls Get the Blues had a big effect on me as wanting to be a writer. Yeah. And, and one more, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Another oh, that's a, that's a big one. And that's the first time that one's ever been brought up on the, uh, on the old podcast, man. So I'm happy that one came up. Um, these next ones are uh, essentially whatever comes to mind right off the bat, man. They're just, these are playful, fun ones. Um, and I figure we could start it off with uh, one I haven't done just yet, uh, at least on any other podcast. Well, maybe I have. I just I can't remember. There's been so many of these, Bill. Um, but this one's always really fun. So you get two characters. You're going to do a buddy spinoff cop, a cop, buddy spinoff cop show from King of the Hill. What two characters would you love to see? in a buddy cop show oh it's a no-brainer for me it's dale and bill yeah. You know? yeah, yeah who's good cop and who's bad cop uh well bill is the good cop and dale yeah. is uh you know getting everybody dale, fired dale is trying to be the bad cop you know he's not <laughs> very good at it but but yeah it kind of has a a feel of car 54 where are you to it in a way but that's an old tv show uh, very old, just dated myself anyway. But that's who <laughs> those are the two characters I would uh, deal with. Two Bill. good characters, 
Those are two good characters, man. Uh, so you get to see the creation of any character throughout animation history. You get to be there from the inception, man. Who do you want to see created? Where would you love to be a fly on the wall at to see created? Wow. Wow, that's a... All right, I'm going to have to say... I'm going to go with um, either Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck. I'm going to have to go yeah. with... Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not thinking of like, you know, uh, Pinocchio or any feature film. I'm thinking of the stuff that had like incredible influences on me. And the Warner Brothers cartoons, hands down, were like my favorite mm -hmm. cartoons. Those things were just incredible Magical. in every aspect. Like the design, the comedy, the timing, those things were just amazing. You have a favorite of the do you have a favorite of the directors? Uh that's um oh, shoot. I was gonna, that's that's too hard for me. I it's not Chuck Jones, but um I love Bob Clampett. He's always been my guy. Yeah, yeah. Um and and Tex Avery, but mm -hmm. um I, I also like some of Robert McKinson's. So yeah. No, I don't have a favorite director to answer that question. How was that? Oh, Is absolutely. That it's perfectly. Oh, dude, that's such a hard one because it's Foghorn Leghorn, you know, created by the McKimpsons. It's he's one of my favorite him and Daffy. It's it's hard. It's I'm hard pressed if I had to pick just one of them because I love both of those characters for completely different reasons. Daffy was my earliest memory of any cartoon is the great piggy bank robbery, man. So seeing that yeah. one, and then I got one to talk to, what's that? It's one of the best neon noodle. Yeah. Dude, yeah. that like, I, I, I had, I had the pleasure of having Ruth Clampett on the daughter of Bob Clampett. Um, and I got to talk to her. And then while we're talking, like before we hit record, like I usually do with all of my guests, so I can break the ice, you know, make everybody feel a little bit of ease, you know, um, get to know me before we hit record. Um, I, she's got this beautiful cell and it's from that, from that cartoon. And I was like, I've literally been dreaming about this sequence. And I was like, I, for the life of me, I couldn't remember the name. I couldn't remember anything other than it's the sequence where Daffy is surrounded by all of the villains, right? Uh, towards yeah, yeah. the middle of the middle of it. And I was like, what is the name of this? Yeah. Well, I was like, what is the name of this cartoon? I just could not, like, it would not, it was here, but I couldn't say what it was. And then she told me, and I was like, I've had dreams of this sequence for weeks now. And I was like, and then the first thing I see when we pop on, other than Ruth, was this beautiful cell that her dad did hanging over her right shoulder. And it's it was like, it's one of those, it was, I'm getting goosebumps again. It's just one of those things where it's just like, dude, this is fucking wild, man. Your dad it probably has like my earliest core memory of any, any, any piece of animation is that that's like the first thing I can think of as being a little kid watching the Looney Tunes in my grandparents house up there summertime in West Virginia. We're watching this and I'm like, oh, just blown away. This is different. And then, like I said, you know, him, Foghorn. I love Wiley e. Coyote. I love I love um, oh, fuck. What's his name? Damn. Sam. Uh, shit. I can't think of it. Yosemite Sam. I couldn't think of that Yosemite. first one. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't think of Yosemite for some reason. But I, those are like, if I had a Mount Rushmore Looney Tunes characters, those four are uh, are on my Mount Rushmore. But yeah, man, I, I love Bob Clampett's work. 
Um, I like Chuck Jones too, man. Tex Avery was great. I, I liked a lot of the stuff that was coming out of when Frizz was doing stuff too. Um, just seminal moments in so many people's lives that, that you look at those things and we're fuck what, 80 years, 80, 90 years, you know, removed from when these things were almost, you know, 80, 90 years almost. Yeah, um, yeah. And they still hold up today. You can literally plug and play those in anybody's household and somebody's having fun with them. Yeah. You know, just pure perfection. Um, so that, yeah, I, I would love to see, you know, Bucks or Daffy create it too. Uh, that'd be fun. So this one's fun. So hypothetical, you're in a hypothetical hypothetical situation, excuse me, Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have an animation studio. So you get one creator, you get one director, you get one writer, one voice actor, and then one uh, animator, right? Throughout entire animation history you can plug and play from the 90s 2000s current to all the way back in the day you get five of those people for any animated project who are you selecting for all five of those pieces brad bird so that's your director your creator or you're taking them for everything everything that's a good pick to have that dude has the two greatest movies for animation for me iron giant favorite animated movie of all time Ratatouille. That movie was the final, the straw that broke the camel's back in the good possible way to get me into the culinary arts. Plus, he can write incredible. He's really he's, a good writer. Oh man, he he does it all so well, and that's a clean sweep for that one too, man. I'm so glad you brought up Brad Bird because he is, like I said, he is the bar for so many things. And goddamn, great pull, Bill. You're a smart man. You know that smart guy um okay we got a couple more here cross that one up all right so this one's always fun because i get to inject food into it too because like i said i'm a food guy uh, I, I like to do this stuff for fun and for 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 profession you know whatever that word might be uh so you're having a dinner party right so you're making dinner for five guests throughout animation history you get to have them over, you get to cook them a meal, and then you get to uh, bring up the first topic of the discussion for that night. So what five people throughout animation history you bring into your dinner party, and what are you cooking them? Oh, and then you don't have to cook if you don't want to, because a lot of people say, I can't cook. So we I've heard ordered pizza and ordered Chinese uh, the last couple, last couple podcasts. So you don't have to cook if you want to order out. Right, 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 right. Well... Let's go with a barbecue of some kind. Okay. We're already starting out great. And um, I'm going to go with Winter McKay mm-hmm. as one guest. Um, I'm going to go with... Um, uh, well, see, that's a lot. Walt Disney has to be there. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, come on. You can't not invite Walt. And uh, and uh, you need some comedy there. Uh, maybe Tex Avery. Okay. There. Um, I'm liking this list already, man. Can I come too? <laughs> and let me think. Uh, directors, directors uh, in all of animation history, right? Any anybody direct- throughout animation history, yeah. Um. I don't know any alcoholics, so. <laughs> um, well, I guess. Mark Davis had a martini everywhere he went with him. Oh, did he? Uh, yeah. Um, 
Well, I that's hard. Let's see. Well, they don't all have, they could be at any level of directing, right? Any level. They could be anybody. They could be a storyboard or writer. If you if you saw a cool custodian back in the day well, in the film room, I would, I would I would again go back to Brad Bird. I, mm -hmm. You know, to be able to talk to him, and then uh, just because I have a friend that uh, really likes Walt Disney. I would invite Clay Hall from uh, King yeah. of the Hill because uh, he loves Walt Disney. So that would That's be really cool. My list. And what's the first topic you're going to talk about to start off the stimulating conversation that night? You mean other than myself? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the first topic I would talk about is um is uh you know talk to me about storytelling. You know, tell mm -hmm. me, tell me everything you know about storytelling. Help me become a better storyteller. Uh, I don't know. It, um, that, that would be it. It wouldn't be like, um, it'd be about, tell you know, tell me some stories. Yeah. That's it. We're all here. I want to hear your best stories. That's it. That's going to be a great night, man. And this, uh, this is the last one. If uh, you could go back in time. And storyboard or be a part of the story team for any featured film throughout animation history. Is there one that you would absolutely love to have lent your skill set to? Well, let's throw in with that imagination that you have that I could I could draw at that level of what I'm mm -hmm. thinking of, but it would be. 101 Dalmatians was one of my favorite all time animated. Just the look of it. Mm -hmm. I just, I love the it's a beautiful uh, one. Yeah. So, so uh, that would be the one, I guess. 101 Dalmatians. Is there any scene in particular that you would absolutely love to work on? Yeah. One that had only maybe one or two Dalmatians in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, any scene, any scene, any scene. Um, yeah. Any, any scene in that. Well, just to be around those people, you know, with, as creatives mm -hmm. would have been an honor, you know, but you can say that about so many films, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You're asking. Oh, now, so, and these are all the top of the head. Like, like, uh, you know, when a doctor hits your knee and your knee, yeah, reflex. First thing I thought, yeah, the reflex was one hundred one Dalmatians because that film does stand out in my in my lexicon of uh, animated films. Absolutely, man. And uh, when we had, I'll I'll end it with this one. Uh, so when we had our second kid, almost two years ago now, um, when he started, like when he first started, probably like six months. You know, he's six months, seven months old. Like he started like sitting up and like noticing things. And then like most people, you know, you start them with, you know, Disney shit, you know, Disney cartoons, Disney movies, stuff like stuff you grew up with. Right. Or stuff that I grew up with in particular. You know, we always had all the VHSs growing up. And, uh, you know, so I would just go through and, he, and we have at that time we had four dogs. And so he loved the dogs. So I was like, no better movie to start him off with than other than 101 Dalmatians. And, you know, I had watched this movie a few times. I loved it. You know, it was good. But it wasn't one that I would consistently go back to. I always, The Jungle Book was always my favorite Disney movie of all times. There's Great something movie. about Baloo. Absolutely, man. Baloo is my favorite 
favorite hero in the entire Disney lexicon. And then Captain Hook has always been, even though it's from Peter Pan, he's always been my favorite villain. He always dressed so snazzy. I loved the voice. I loved, I just loved how he interacted with everything, especially with TikTok Croc and Mr. Smee. I loved that whole dichotomy, if you will. I loved everything about it. But, uh, you know, so he put on 101 Dalmatians and then he's hooked right off the bat. Yeah. Every single night, we watched that movie. We would get about 15 minutes into that movie and then he would fall asleep because he's, you know, six, seven months old. Tension spans very little for these guys um, at that age. And then it just progressively got longer and longer and longer. When I tell you we watched 101 Dalmatians, there was two movies by the time he was one year old that I could literally close my eyes. And as soon as the credits started, I could go word for word, every piece of dialogue, 101 Dalmatians and Encanto. Those two movies in particular, he absolutely loved. And Canto for the songs and how beautifully, like the visuals were so beautiful, but the songs is what he's into. And then 101 Dalmatians because of the dogs. Um, You know, so I got to see, I got to appreciate 101 Dalmatians from a different level because, you know, when you're watching something, you're watching it with intent. But when you're forced to watch it with a little kid over and over and over, to a certain extent, you can sit there, you can see in the background. Now, you can see all the shit that you missed before. You see the beautifully designed world that Ken Anderson helped create. And it's just these colors they chose. You know, Mark Davis, his his he's always been my favorite of the nine old men. But his take for Cruella DeVille, like his whole creation and animating of Cruella DeVille, second to none in anything. I mean, it's so beautiful, so stunning, so perfect, and such an evil evil villain i mean who wants what's more evil than killing puppies it's pretty dark bill when you think about it man so it's just that movie is so special now to me it's it's definitely climbed up the ranks and become one of my favorites and i just want to say great pull for that one fantastic pull for 101 dalmatians from you i have an old uh um comic strip i did online Mm -hmm. um i wish i'd stuck it out but i didn't it's called lewis and cluck Mm -hmm. and it's um is or the adventures of Lewis and Cluck, and it's they're two explored chickens. And the concept is pretty much if Peter Sellers as Inspector Clouseau, yeah. with, and you mixed him with Jacques Cousteau, mm-hmm. and and you you made him a chicken, well, what would you get? And that's it's Lewis and Cluck are explored chickens, and you can go to www.lewisandcluck.com. When you open it up, it doesn't open on the very first page it opens so you'd have to like uh navigate back to the the beginning because my goal was i wanted to remember i wanted to do a newspaper strip mm-hmm. oh was to do the first gag a day adventure continuity strip so because you had terry and the pirates and then you had gag a day cartoons and then you had cartoons that were continuity but you, mm-hmm. I never saw all three actually uh, wrapped up into one. So my goal, and I didn't achieve it at all. I didn't come even close. But it was to, from day one, you take the boat ride with these two explorers. And they go to uh, they go to try to find Bigfoot. They go to the Bermuda Triangle. You know, um, all sorts of mysterious adventures like that. And all done at a gag a day. So... Um, if you, if your readers want to take time to look at some, some artwork, I guess it's artwork. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's there. 
I'll yeah. put that I'll put that link in the description below, ladies and gentlemen, so you can just click on the link and go straight to that page. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've got it written down here. I'm going to check it out after we get off this call. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, another thing I've been looking forward to, man, was this chat, Bill. Uh, like I said, King of the Hill, so special to me. I know it's so special to so many folks out there. So, you know, for me to you, man, thank you for your contributions and to help and raise me as a kid, man. Like I said, you guys gave me the foundation I need to be a better person. Without this show, I'd probably be a riddled drug addict strung out somewhere just looking for something like King of the Hill. So I'm glad I, I didn't end up that way. You're welcome. And I want to thank you for um, just in this little bit reminding me of your passion reminds mm -hmm. me of the passion I used to have. And yeah like to rekindle that as well so i appreciate that absolutely thank man no, thank you man you. well he's been bill i've been julian this has been the what's in my head podcast and this has been another piece of your childhood good night